0: You have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night you carry them away like a flood they are like a sleep in the morning they are like grass which grows up in the morning it flourishes and grows up in the evening it is cut down and withers for you have been consumed by for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins In the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as in the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, do teach us. Speak to our hearts this day by your Spirit, through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to begin with a riddle. Who can tell me what I'm describing? Some people save it. Other people make it. Most people waste it, some people kill it, a few people are actually on it. The riddle's answer, time. You might say our study today is about time. Once a businessman, he needed to be on time for an early morning appointment. Not knowing how congested the commute might be, he left hours early. The traffic that day was lighter than usual, so he arrived for his appointment way ahead of schedule. Well, the businessman noticed a nearby park. He pulled his car up under a shade tree and decided to take a nap. Before long, he heard a tap on the window. It was a jogger. He rolled down the window, and the jogger asked him, do you know the time? Well, he looked at his watch, and he said, sure, it's 624. 624. Well, all was fine until a few minutes later, another jogger stopped to ask for the time. He answered, well, it's 6.32. Well, the driver could tell with all the joggers in the park this was going to continue to be a problem. And so he took a sheet of paper from his briefcase and he made a sign that he put on his window. Attention, I do not know the time. Well, before long, he heard another tap on the window. It was another jogger. Well, this time he angrily rolled down the wind and he snarled. What do you want? The jogger pointed to his watch and said, well, I thought you'd want to know. It's 6.43. Can you tell time? Don't look at your watch and answer that. That's not what I mean. I know you can tell me the specific time, but I wonder if you're aware of the importance of time in general. The significance of this commodity that we call time. The preface to Psalm 90 tells us that it was written by Moses. It was probably penned shortly before his death at the end of Israel's 40 years in the desert. If that's so, this makes Psalm 90 the oldest of all the Psalms. In fact, next to Job, Psalm 90 is probably the oldest passage in the Bible. But there is no more timely a passage than this one. In fact, its message is timeless. Psalm 90 teaches us about time. And it emphasizes to us two truths. First, that time is a gift from God. It's an opportunity. And second, though time is an opportunity, it is a limited opportunity. First 1 begins, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Notice our God is from everlasting to everlasting. The Hebrew word translated everlasting means vanishing point. The Almighty God exists beyond the vanishing point. Think back as far as your mind can stretch, as far in the past as your imagination can take you, 10 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. How about 10 million years? Well, think back as far as you can, and God is there. Think ahead until history's timeline fades into the distance, and again, there you'll find God. The God of the Bible was before the beginning, and He'll be after the end. You know, the early church father, Augustine of Hippo, was the first Christian theologian to think of eternity not just as infinite time, but as a place outside of time, distinct from time. Augustine reasoned that since time is an entity created by God, along with the rest of creation, God was not part of time but God was separate from time. Augustine drew his observation from the scriptures. Today, modern scientific theories have validated Augustine and the Bible. Moses and Augustine and Albert Einstein's physics all see time as a physical property. God exists outside of a dimension called time. Often we think of God's eternal nature when we think of it We think of God as having lots and lots and lots of time, but that's a limited picture. Rather than have lots of time or just have lots of time, God dwells outside of time altogether. God isn't bound by time. This allows God to occupy the past and the present and the future all at the same time. You remember on Mount Sinai when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he introduced himself As the I am, not as the I was or the will be, but I am who I am. The true God is eternally present. He dwells beyond the parameters of time. He occupies a different dimension. The Bible calls Him the God who is and who was and who is to come. To God, time is not a long linear progression. God doesn't occupy a dot on the timeline. He dwells in the past, in the present, and in the future simultaneously. In Revelation chapter 4, the skies peel back, and John gets a peek into heaven. And guess who's there? You are. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of him, John sees you in heaven. John glimpses into the future. And he sees all the saints from all the ages at God's throne praising the Lamb who is also a lion. When Jesus raptures the church and takes us to heaven, he'll literally be taking us back to the future. And he won't even need Doc Brown's DeLorean in the flux capacitor. Jesus is Lord over time and space. Realize time is not an issue for God. Time only matters to creatures like us who occupy the timeline. Today we dwell within time, but one day we'll cross from time to eternity and join God in His timelessness. Again, Moses expresses the outcome of God's timeless nature in verse 3. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. In other words, God ends epochs and concludes eras. God forges the great time periods that have governed history. He authors the rise and fall of civilizations. Like an orchestra conductor, God directs the course of history. He can stop a runaway society in its tracks and steer it in a new direction. As the psalmist quotes him, saying in verse 3, Return, O children of men. In fact, for God, history is His story. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. This was probably the verse that inspired the Apostle Peter. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he writes, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. A timeless God sees time differently than we do. God's perspective isn't bound by time constraints. To an eternal God, time is relative. The psalmist says that to God, a thousand years is like a night watch. A four-hour shift, by the way. Two thousand years, then, would be nothing but an eight-hour work day. Which reminds me of the greedy little fellow. He, he read this verse and he prayed. He said, God, is it true that to you a thousand years is as one second? God said, yes. Then is it true that to you, a million dollars is as one penny? God said, yes. Well, then can I have just one penny? God said, sure, in just a second. <laughs> Think back a thousand years and all that's happened in our world. Around 1000 AD, the first crusade was launched. The feudal system was at its zenith in Europe. The Chinese had just invented gunpowder and fireworks. A thousand years ago was 300 years before the compass was invented. It was 400 years before the printing press and 500 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Think of all the advancements and rulers and discoveries and trends over the last 1,000 years. So much has happened and yet to God it is all like yesterday. No wonder our impatience has so little effect on God. Here's the truth that Moses wanted etched into our minds. God is the builder of time, not its occupant. If God were limited to time or captive by time, there would be an entity more powerful than the Almighty God. Certainly God intervenes on earth in timely ways, and He uses time as He chooses and for His purposes. But God Himself dwells outside of time. God created time. Genesis 1 implies that this is one reason He created the celestial bodies, the sun and moon and stars. He said, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. He created the heavenly bodies above, above us as a means for us to measure time. In fact, this notion that God created time is extremely provocative. Think this through. If God created time, then the time that we have on earth is a gift from Him. And if it is a gift from God, then it has a purpose. And if time has a purpose, then obviously we're accountable to God for how we spend the precious time that we have. Thus, time becomes an opportunity. Actually, this is why God entered time. When Jesus took on human flesh and became a man, the eternal deity became a child of time. In Jesus, God, who overflows all time and measurement, became a man and became bound by time. Think of it. For the first time in all of history, the eternal God was on the clock. Apparently, there are opportunities only possible within the constraints of time. There are kingdom deeds that can only be accomplished within time. This is why you and I are children of time. Apparently, time is the one time to accomplish works for God that can't be done at any other time. Eternity solidifies our choices. Understand, nothing changes in eternity. Once you and I pass from time into eternity, we forfeit any possibility for change. This is why Dante, in his Inferno, the author inscribes the following words on the gates of hell, those who enter have abandoned all hope. There's no longer the possibility for change in eternity. That means that if you enter eternity apart from God, then you'll live forever isolated from Him. But if you enter eternity with God, you'll live forever in fellowship with God. But time is the only opportunity we have to change our position or to help alter another person's position. Only in time can changes be made for God. Well, Psalm 90 teaches us that time is an opportunity. But it is equally clear that time is a limited opportunity. It's a commodity that we can't waste. You see, the remainder of Psalm 90 informs us that we don't have much of this stuff called time. Moses writes of God in verse 5, You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. To God, a thousand years is as a day. In contrast, human beings possess the longevity of a momentary rising tide or a daydream. Life is brief and temporary. According to verse 6, we grow up. We spend 12 hours in the sunshine. Then we get mowed down by sunset. It's pretty depressing. Listen to Moses. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. That's not even here today and gone tomorrow. That's here today and, and gone well today, just later. Once when Billy Graham. Was asked by a reporter, "What's been the biggest surprise in your life?" Without any hesitation at all, Billy replied, "It's brevity." In 2016, over 134 million 500,000 babies joined the human race. 134 and a half million babies joined the human race. The same year, over 58 million people died. And left time for eternity. Notice the flow of people on and off our planet. It's a pretty busy place. Every 10 seconds, 43 babies are born. And most of them to my family. (laughs) And every 10 seconds, 21 people die. That means every minute, 256 people are born and 126 people die. Every minute. There's people going on and off this planet all the time. This is is like a train depot. That means that during this morning's Bible study, over 10,000 people will be born. While I'm talking to you, 10,000 people will be born and over 5,000 will die on this planet. That means that if I go over this morning by just two minutes, that means 252 more people are dead. Hopefully it's not me who sends them over the edge. Here's a startling statistic for you. Out of every 113 people living on planet Earth right now, one will be dead by this time next year. One out of every 113. That means a handful of the folks in this room right now won't be alive and with us next year. Yet why is it most of us are under the illusion that we'll live forever While all around us, human beings are coming and going at a furious pace, we need to come to terms with reality that time is a limited opportunity. And according to verse 7, we should be careful how we spend our time. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Listen to verse 9 in the old King James Version. It says, All our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. A tale that is told. In other words, life without Jesus is like a rerun. You've seen it before. At its end, if you live your life without Christ, then your life is no different than anyone else's. It's a story that's been told. Your secret sins were really common sins. The culmination of your life barely produced a sigh. You lived and died and caused only a yawn. A godless life is a wasted life. Moses adds in verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Apparently, Moses is quoting life expectancy rates in the 15th century B.C., roughly 3,500 years ago. And surprisingly, not much has changed between then and now. According to the World Health Organization, the average human lifespan in 2016 was 72.0 years old. Now, obviously, the life expectancy is higher in North America, and it's lower in sub-Saharan Africa. But 72.0 is the average human lifespan. That means that 3,500 years of medical research has bought us an extra two years. That's it. That's why in verse 10, Moses is pretty blunt. He's saying you might reach 70. And if you stay healthy, eat all that bran and raisin and all that other stuff, you could top out at 80 if it's worth it. But every life is soon cut off and we fly away. Compared to eternity, our lifespan is like the steam off a football player's head. That's your life. Several years ago, the oldest person on earth was a woman in Arles, France, named Jeanne Clement. On her 120th birthday, she was asked, what kind of future do you expect? She replied, a short one. (laughs) And she spoke for us all. Life is short. Another older lady was asked about her plans for the future. She responded, honey, at my age, I don't even buy green bananas. She was living this truth. Think of a 70-year lifespan as a 16-hour day. You know, you're born at 8 a.m. and you die at midnight. If you're 16 years old and you're getting your driver's license, it's already 11.40 in the morning. It's it's You've already spent the whole morning. It's already midday. If you're 20, it's past noon. You're halfway through your lunch hour. It's 12.35. At 30 years old, it's 2.52. It's in the middle of the afternoon. You're starting to make your evening plans. At 40, it's past quitting time. It's 5.10. By now, you're heading home. At 50 years old, you've just finished watching the nightly news, man. It's now 7.27 at night. At 60, the kids are in bed and you're winding down. You might as well get a glass of milk, man. It's 9.45 p.m. And at 70, well, it's over, baby. The clock has already struck midnight. To borrow from a soccer analogy, if you're over 70, the clock on the field is reading stoppage time. Put in a more common way, you're living on borrowed time. I hope you get my drift. Your life is drifting away, and there's nothing you can do about it. There is no pause button on time. Every day, you're given 24 hours or 1,440 minutes or 86,400 seconds. And once they're gone, they are forever gone. Unlike cell phone usage, there are no such thing as rollover minutes. As the old saying goes, time flies. Time is an opportunity that doesn't last forever. And here's the big question. Are we taking advantage of our opportunity? Every person in this room has been given the exact same amount of time. God is an equal opportunity dispenser of opportunity. With each new day, He deposits 86,400 seconds in every human being's account. It's been said, our days are identical suitcases. All are the same size, but some people can pack more in their suitcase. How good of a packer are you? In verse 11, Moses asks God, Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Each one of us should fear God. He holds us accountable for the gifts He's given us, including time. Verse 12 is the key verse in Psalm 90. Moses sums up his thoughts on time. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the question How do we take advantage of time? And here's Moses' answer Learn to number your days. This is wisdom. Learn to number your days. Now, to understand what Moses means, notice what he doesn't mean. He's not expecting us to get out our calculator and literally try to add up our, our days. There are life expectancy calculators on the internet that take in various personal factors and try to predict how long you'll live. I tried some of these. I won't tell you the outcome. But, the, but these calculators are unreliable, and I'll tell you why. A Mack truck on your way home today can trump all the other criteria. I mean, the truth is no one knows the day of their death. Purchase a tombstone in advance and immediately they'll engrave the DOB, the date of birth. But the date of death is yet to be determined. No one knows when their time is over. You never know when your number's up. What Moses means in verse 12 requires more than good arithmetic. It requires wisdom. The Hebrew word translated to number means to weigh, but not to weigh in a casual manner or to weigh simply for curiosity's sake. It's to assign an official weight. It's to register an exact count. To number your days is to understand their weight and their importance. It's to get a feel for their heaviness. A lot gets wrapped up in this word to number. To number our days implies three vital truths. First, I need to be an observer of time. Second, I am an owner of my time. And third, I am an organizer of time. And What I want to do with the short time I have left is tackle these three points. First, to number my days is to realize I am an observer of my time. Even today, when a general numbers his troops, They're paraded in front of the grandstand as He inspects them for their readiness. See, the point isn't just to tally up the number, but to take an inventory of their preparedness and their usefulness and their effectiveness. Is the army ready to be deployed? And this is how we should observe time. On a regular basis, we need to inspect our usage of the time we've been given. We need to take an inventory of how we're treating time. The Living Bible renders verse 12, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are, help us to spend them as we should. Here's another exercise just to get you think, to think. If you live to be 70 years old, and throughout your working life you put in 5 days a week, 8 hours a day on the job, you sleep 8 hours a night, you travel about 1 hour each day, you spend 2 hours eating, and you spend an hour every day on grooming and hygiene, here is the discretionary time you'll have left to live as you please. If you're 20, after you do all of that, you've only got about 13 years left to invest in non-mandatory life activities. Just 13 years. If you're 35 years old, you've got just nine years of your life left. If you're 45, you've got only six and a half years to live as you please. If you're 55, you're down to four years, man. And if you're 65 years old, you've got a little less than 16 months to live and spend your life as you see fit. And if you're 70, well, all you need is a second hand to measure what's left. I would say none of us have any time to waste. This means I need to become an observer of how I spend my time. Minutes, hours, days get gobbled up in the strangest ways. If you live to be 70 and sleep eight hours a night, you're going to spend 20 years asleep. Did you know that? You're going to spend 20 years asleep. Believe it or not, the average person will spend seven years of their life lying in bed trying to get to sleep. Seven years. But this means that one less hour of sleep each night will add two and a half years to your overall life if you can stay awake. My point is, is be watchful and careful how you spend time. You know, over the course of a lifetime, the average person spends five months tying shoelaces. Five months of your life is spent tying shoelaces. Men spend four months shaving. Women spend a year and a half of their life styling their hair. We all spend three years of our life waiting in line. Four years on the telephone. Five years getting dressed. As much as a year deciding what to wear when we get dressed. And here's the kicker. The average person spends 11 years of their life watching television. And some of you spend a lot... A time yesterday watching television, that football stuff. Here's the most sobering statistic. Say you come to church once a week and you pray just five minutes a day. Over a lifetime, you will have spent a mere ten months worshiping God. Ten months worshiping God. Now think about it. Eleven years in front of the TV and ten months worshiping God. I would say something is wrong with that picture. Think about how you spend your time. Second, to number your days is to realize that I am the owner of my time. In antiquity, numbering meant ownership. You know, a man had no reason to count his neighbor's sheep. You don't number your neighbor's sheep. They're not yours. You only number what belongs to you. So to number my days, it implies ownership. See, I think it's healthy for us to think of ourselves as the owner of our time. Obviously, all things belong to God. Each day is a gift from God to us, and God holds me accountable for how I use it. But while that time is in my possession, i ultimately determine how it gets spent. And I'm not about to let somebody steal my time. Carl Riblet writes, There are four kinds of thieves, the love thief, the embezzler, the base runner safe at second, and the thief who steals your time. He says the latter is the worst thief because while love can be replaced, stolen gains repaid, and the base runner put out at third, time can never be renewed. It's true, time flies, but it's equally true that I am its pilot. It's up to me to steer how my time gets spent. Don't let the enemy steal your time. Every week, God entrusts you with seven days of 24 hours each, and it's your job to use His gift strategically. Listen to verse 12 in the Contemporary English Version. It says, teach us to use wisely all the time we have. You are an owner of your time. That means you need to invest it in worthwhile activities. Don't throw it away on frivolous pursuits. How well do you guard your time? Listen to this little jingle. Just a tiny little minute, 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, did not ask it, did not choose it, yet it's up to me to use it and give account if I abuse it. Just a little minute. You can do nothing about yesterday. Tomorrow may never come but you are the owner of today. Today is God's gift to you. That's why we call it the present. The question, how will we use what we own? And then third, to number our days is to realize that we are the organizer of our time. You know, when a general numbers his army, it's usually to arrange his troops in some rank or in some order. Usually, efforts to organize require us to number. You could translate the phrase, to number my days, as to organize my time. That's how the New English Version renders verse 12. Teach us to order our days rightly, that we may enter the gate of wisdom. When I was a teenager, Jim Croce sang a song. You remember Jim Croce? He sang the song, If I Could Put Time in a Bottle. But no one can bottle up time. With time, you either use it or you lose it. There's no resurrection for time. Kill it and it's gone forever. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 verse 16, redeem the time, make your time count. We need to make every second count for God's kingdom and His glory and for the good of others. You know, it may surprise you, but next to prayer and your Bible, your calendar, Maybe your most important spiritual weapon. There's an old saying if you don't plan your time, the devil will. And that's true. The enemy can monopolize our time with worthless pastimes. He'll distract you with evil things, even with good things. In fact, he'll use anything to keep you from the most important thing, which is obeying the Lord. There was a popular tract that was published by Campus Crusade that Christians used for years to share the gospel. It's called the Four Spiritual Laws. Perhaps you've seen it. Law 1 in the booklet states, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. But I found Law 1 for a pastor can be read a little differently. God loves me and people have a wonderful plan for my life. Everyone has expectations of how a pastor should and shouldn't spend his time. That's why it is vital for me to get my priorities and my schedule from God. And it's no different for any of us. If you don't prioritize your time, there are people in your life who will prioritize it for you. That's why we need to be the organizer of our time. Why not start each day with a plan for how you're going to use your time? Now, surely you're going to run into situations that disrupt those plans. There may be days when God has other plans. We need to be flexible. But if we don't begin with a plan, precious time will end up wasted and lost forever. And the biggest loss of time is not in hours and in days, but in minutes. We waste whole hours by not planning our minutes. Think of it this way, a bucket with a tiny hole in the bottom gets just as empty as a bucket that's deliberately kicked over. It just empties drop by drop by drop. And it's the same way with time. Plan to utilize the 10 minutes here or the 15 minutes there, the time you wait in the doctor's office or in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Have a plan for that time. In the long run, good planning will accumulate time. Consider this, 15 minutes a day over a year adds up to 11 full work days. That's an extra two-week vacation every year by just utilizing those 15 minutes. Benjamin Franklin once said, if you love life, do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of, Be an organizer of the time you've been given. There was a man named Jarvis Anderson who read Psalm 90, verse 10, and he focused on this lifespan, 70 years. Anderson thought about it, and he penned a poem about his own life. He said, the question comes, how long is life? Seventy years, the good book reads. It's time enough for men to write the record of their deeds. Seventy years, how fast they fly. Seventy years, they're almost gone. And I who dreamed of castles high, have only laid the cornerstone. What a sad, sad line. And I who dreamed of castles high have only laid the cornerstone. Time is a gift from God, but it's a gift that's limited. It's a door of opportunity that one day slams shut on us all. And yet today, right now, is our opportunity, use it wisely, Be an observer of your time. Take ownership of your time and look for ways to organize your time. Don't get to the end of your 70 or 80 years if you make it that far and regret the time that you've wasted. With Moses, let's all pray. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Don't you think it's about time?